Okay. Did somebody make this for you? Not quite sure. <laughs> it's a wedding I think my mom got it. I love those honest answers. <laughs> okay, the story begins. Chapter 23 of Tanya. Page 255. <coughs> so what's happening? What's going on? All of myself participates in connecting to God. Okay. Oh, is John there? John yeah. is on the air. John hey. is on the air. If Hello. you're a sage, on the air. Only part I of mean you on the floor. If you're I'm a the only person. Okay. Wow. That's right. <laughs> Just carry on. Well, if you're a sage, it will be consistent. It will be all the time. If you're it will a patriarch. Be. Yeah. Patriarch. Yeah. There's nothing else. So only my little finger gets to participate, but all, all, entire patriarch. Exactly. I imagine the matriarchs too, right? Yeah. <coughs> I assume. <coughs> Let's backtrack a little bit. What we've been discussing the past several classes, we've been discussing our existence, not only our existence as, uh, not only our emotional or intellectual existence, but existence as we see it, the world at large. What is existence? We shifted our understanding from there is a God who created a world, and they're two separate things, and at best God watches this world from a distance, and we shifted to everything that exists, including the world, and even the darkest negativity in Klippa, everything is an extension of God himself. And he hides himself from us, so we, what we see is independence, but what he sees is oneness. Because to him, it's not really hiding, right? When you, sum, when you summarize an idea, the recipient receives a summary, a condensation, if you will. <coughs> but the teacher sees the whole depth right there. To God, nothing's actually hidden. And what we're trying to do with this Tanya is shift our perspective from our own natural human perspective, a.k.a. animal soul perspective, to the divine soul perspective. We could see the way we could now, or we could see it the way God does, or at least believe in the way God sees it. If we can't see it that way, we can at least believe it, right? Have faith that there's more to life than what meets the eye. Everything is Him, which begs the question: What's the point in a mitzvah? What's the point in trying to connect to Him if everything is Him? If He's everything and everything is Him, then I don't really need to do anything because everything is just him. The Tanya negates that and says that there's different levels of revelation. Right? Just like when you give a gift to someone, and this was last week's chapter, when you give a gift to someone, there's different levels of closeness. There's a relationship no matter what, but the relationship's always going to be different. So if there's someone you really like and you really want to give that gift, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, you hand them the gift. But if it's somebody that you're not really interested in, you may not look them in the eye. Or you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, in passing, oh, here. If it's someone that you really don't want to give that gift to, for whatever reason you have to. You're well, not, it's not a gift. Maybe it's a payment or something like that. And okay, they, a pay, and yeah. And they feel like they shouldn't have to be making that payment. Okay, yeah, that's a practical yeah, I mean, example. They, that's, that, it's, <coughs> it's really true. Why don't you just give it to me when you see me? 
Yeah. I don't feel like I really should have to give it to you. I don't feel like I should have to see it, right? <laughs> so you, so what do you do? You turn around. You don't, you have your back facing to them, and then you hand it to them. In all situations, there's a giver, there's a receiver. But the openness, the vulnerability, if you will, varies. And it's the same with our relationship with God. Everything comes from God. The world comes from God. Klippa comes from God. A mitzvah is an expression of God. But there's different levels of vulnerability, different levels of openness. And the deepest level of openness, a mitzvah, the deepest level of closeness, anything, a uh, klippa, right? Anything that negates his existence, something where he, that he um, explicitly does not want, would be the, that, that would be the greatest level of, uh, uh, there, would, there would be the least vulnerability there. Because it's the balance. Yeah. So that's different um, than, well, the, the, there's, the positive mitzvahs, and then there's the negative prohibitions. But if you were to um, do one of the negative prohibitions, that is a, that's even further away than not necessary than, than not having done a positive mitzvah, right? I mean, you want to do all the positive mitzvahs and avoid all the negative ones, but. Correct. If you actively do something negative as opposed to passively not do something Correct. Positive. It's considered to be worse. Oh. De definitely. There's actually a, a discussion in halacha, now that you mentioned that. How much does a person need to spend? How much money does a person need to spend to do a mitzvah? How far do you need to go? From the letter of the law, right? Pr practically, we're all very passionate Jews. We'll spend whatever it takes to get a pair of tefillin, right? But theoretically... Um, what is the maximum amount you need to spend? So when it comes to doing something, it says up to a fifth of your earnings. But when it comes to not, when it comes to do, preventing a sin, there's no amount. You have to spend whatever it takes to not do a sin, to not do a, to, to not do a prohibition. And it, that illustrates exactly what you're saying. There's a, there's a big difference between I didn't do what God wants or I'm doing something he doesn't want. And there is... A, Somewhat of a difference, and and we'll, it's we'll more of a neglect than a, than a, a defiance than a neglect. Yes, good way to put it. I'm yeah. sorry. You're neglecting to do something you're supposed to do that makes it mean oh. neglect ver versus Whereas defiance. The other one is defying mm. the, the, you, you're being oppositional. You're doing a, as yeah. dafka. Yeah. There we go. Beautifully said. Yeah. Especially if you know. If you don't know, I think it falls into a different realm, right? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about, let, let's say we're talking about knowingly. Theoretically, you knew the situation, and, and it, was, it was a choice. De definitely. If we look back to chapter 20, we began chapter 20 with discussing the, the, the first two of the Ten Commandments. The first of the Ten Commandments, belief in God. The second of the Ten Commandments, you have no idols. Have no other gods, right? Reject other gods. Reject idolatry. We said last week anything that is what God wants is godly, and if it's what he doesn't want, it's akin to idolatry. Right? Arrogance we gave the example of. It's akin to idolatry because the reality is God is everything, and arrogance means I'm an independent existence. 
And now we're going to slowly draw the strings together. We said every single mitzvah, positive mitzvah, every do, falls under the category of believing in God. Every mitzvah we do testifies that we believe not only in His existence, but that His existence is everything. Every avera, every prohibition that we may do, is an indication that we don't believe in Him. We may believe He exists, but we don't believe that He's our, the overwhelming reality of existence. Because that would be, just like arrogance, pushing Him away. But that's, that's okay, because He's hiding. So it doesn't matter. Good point, but... And He's hiding as a good choice. But if we know He's hiding... Then, but it doesn't matter, because He's hiding, so... See, we have a good excuse, <laughs> but we know he's hiding. What we're so you're saying? Well, I shouldn't be exposed. We shouldn't be exposing him here. <laughs> we're ruining it for everybody. Like, I mean, he knows it. We'll see, but uh, you know, you, you, you're saying he's hiding, but but he's hiding it, in plain sight. Well, but but he's he he, he wouldn't be hiding mm -hmm. as much if we were performing mitzvahs and. So there's levels of hiding. So, so you mean that Sometimes we're hiding him. Because, because you, 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 it's, it's, it's oh, almost so we like... we hide when we don't do what's right, too. We hide him, yeah. Right. So, so it's like when, so when we we're perform, performing a mitzvah, the, the, this, this conduit to God is wide open. But if we're neglecting, then the, perhaps that conduit's not open. And if we're doing something wrong, then he's really hiding. So you mean, so it's our behavior that makes him disappear? So it's it's wouldn't say disappear. No, but, but like in terms but of but not in plain sight. Right? So Correct. Yeah. So in other words, choosing to be. Um, he, isn't he, that why he had to begin with? Because we weren't doing what was right. That's kind of how it started. It's like you know they're not listening to me anyway. Why should I bother? <laughs> but we'll soon see how mitzvahs reveal him. In other words, okay, I you're asking a very good question. I, I, it's, it's just a statement. It, 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 it's a very powerful statement. Yeah. He's hiding. How could he expect us to do this? How could he expect us to make the right choice? No, yeah, no, he's hiding. So, so basically, yeah, basically, if if he's not showing himself, then then people can do things and with their own free will, and they can't be kind of blamed. They can give it, be given a chance because he's not there. You know, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev used to say, we, we've, I've said this in the past, but I think it's just so powerful. I'll say it again. You know, they say when it comes to an insight, when you want to say an insight in the Parsha, when a rabbi says it, you said it once, you could repeat it the next week. It'll be good. Right? When it comes to a story, you have one year. You can't repeat it within the year. After a year, you can repeat it. When it comes to a joke... You have to wait like 10 years, otherwise... <laughs> Everybody knows. So, I'm going to repeat this story anyways, but <laughs> no, it's not real art, it's not a story. It's more of, a, it's more of an idea that Reb Levi Yitzchak of Ardichev used to say, that God, you put all of our lusts, desires, selfishness, our personal drives and agendas out in the open, and you... And the beauty of Judaism, the soul, godliness, is in a book. He says, it's not fair. You're hiding in a book. If you would have done it the other way around, 
put lust in a book, we'll read about lust and we'll live God. Instead of living lust and read about God, it would have been much easier. Life would have been so different. Who said it's supposed to be easy? But so, so I guess that's the bottom line. There, there, there's some, there, there are several avenues to approach your statement, but there's value in the struggle itself, as we'll get to in chapter 27. There's, but then there's also a cycle. He's hiding. If we do what he wants, we reveal him. And we'll soon talk about this. If we don't do what he wants, we contribute to the concealedness. And there, there because, there's a cycle. When he, we do a mitzvah, he comes out in the open, we become inspired, and now we're more, more motivated to do a mitzvah. But if he's hiding, and we don't do that mitzvah, we hid him, and now we don't want to do mitzvahs anymore. And hiding could be, I mean this in the emotional sense as well. The more mitzvahs we do, the more emotionally open we are. Right? Because the more bitzel we have, the more... The more we neglect or defy his will, the more emotionally we isolate ourselves from him. And now it's like, well, I don't really want to do this mitzvah, so why should I do it? It's the other way around. No, do it, and you'll feel the inspiration, and the inspiration will come because you'll open yourself up. Maybe we're the ones who are hiding. He's not the one that's hiding. Okay, interesting. Because the more vulnerable we make ourselves to him, closer we get, but we don't make ourselves vulnerable to Yeah. You know, a, a mitzvah, in, in a sense, is a level of vulnerability. I'm doing some random act. It's weird. <laughs> I'm taking these leather boxes, straps, I'm, I'm lighting these random candles, I'm, I'm paying extra money for <laughs> this food that's, it, it's the same... I'm giving money in this charity. I mean, though that you could at least make sense of, right? But, but there's a certain level of vulnerability. I'm opening myself up to something uncomfortable. And I believe that there's going to be some... That, that, that I'm opening myself to something larger than myself. There is a strong level of vulnerability. And how it manifests itself. What's the chain reaction going to be? Yeah. It, it, and, you don't have a... It's not a... It's not something you read about in a book. If you do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, this yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't we, we, don't, we don't even see, you know, we're vulnerable and we don't even see the results of our vulnerability always. Sometimes we do. But when we... Him hiding enables that vulnerability or is what makes the vulnerability difficult yet valuable. If he didn't hide, it wouldn't be called vulnerable. It would be called... I don't know. Any ideas? Law watching. <laughs> Following the law. Yeah, just just uh, being a good Samaritan, just doing my thing, you know, doing doing what what's they, natural. They say they say uh, when somebody asks them if they're Jewish, they say uh, it's a spiritual thing, right? It's a spiritual thing, you know. It's not a religious thing. It's a spiritual. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> Which so this idea brings us further into the chapter. Well, the idea that a mitzvah was referred to as a limb. The mitzvah is like a limb. Let's take a look on page 257. There's a lot to talk about here. 
top of the, the first bold line on 257. That's why the mitzvahs are referred to metaphorically by the Zohar, the Kune Zohar, as the organs of the kings, of the king. The organs of God, the limb of God. It's like his body. For just as the organs of your body are vehicles of expression for your soul, since the organs are completely surrendered to your soul with all their being, so too are mitzvahs are absolute expressions of the divine will. So our bodies are surrendered our bodies are surrendered to our soul. And the proof is your soul meaning your drive, your will. Not necessarily even your divine soul, but the idea of your spiritual life force that exists, your body surrendered to that. As soon as you decide to move, to lean back, to lean forward, to pick up your arm, you didn't tell your arm, lift, and it made a decision, okay, I'll lift, I'll listen to you. You know, at this time, I'm not going to listen. It just happens. You want your arm to lift, the lift, right? You want to lean back, you lean back. There's no thought process, there's no command. It just happens. What does that indicate? Your body is just doing what it's what you want, which means it's surrendered toward you. It doesn't have its own will. It's surrendered towards something bigger. What do we call it when somebody's body is not surrendered to them? Paralysis, perhaps? It's the first thing right? in my mind. Or, or whatever the condition may be, but it's not healthy, right? The healthy thing is for the body to, to surrender itself to the soul. If a body's not surrendered to the soul, they can't move without the body's permission, and it's just not healthy. And the reason why we say that is to illustrate how a body is more than just a body. A body, you know, when you see another human being, you don't, you don't have, you don't see a body. You see a person. It's a human being. It's a Right? A body on its own is just a corpse. A soul on its own is a spiritual soul. A human being is a body and soul together. Nobody would ever want to... I, I, I bring this example because it's very real, unfortunately. Nobody would ever want to bring their parents, send their parents to an old age home where they have a body count. There's this many bodies in the room, right? We have room for this many bodies because that, what are they treating, then how are they treating these people? Objects. Objects. They're totally ignoring the soul and just seeing what, what, their, what, their, what their eyes tell them, a body, but no, nobody does that. We, we look at a human being, we automatically Register the soul to a degree. Well, that's why in, I think in prison they, they don't, right? Right? When they're looking at people that are in prison or, or incarcerated or something. Well, well think about the Holocaust. Think yeah. about the Holocaust. Yeah. They were branded with numbers. Right. They, right? They were just objects. There's no life to them. They looked at them as lifeless <clears throat> robots, if you will, slaves. We're going to make you do it. They were just bodies that were there for function, way, but there was no life. That they could control them better. Yeah. Or if you're being treated in a uh, Montreal hospital. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's close to home. <laughs> Let's take a look.
um, on our sheets here. Text one. John, you have the you have it? I do. Okay, perfect. Text one is an excerpt from a a um, a teaching of the Lubavitcher Rebbe from one of his discourses. Let's get a volunteer if we could, please. Okay, go for it. The difference between a person's body and their clothing is clothing are independent of the person wearing them. They therefore cover and conceal its its wearer. A body, on the other hand, serves as a container for its soul which invested in it. It therefore does not hide the soul. So when you see a body, you see life. Okay. So mitzvahs are not God's clothing. It's more like a body for God. Clothing hides, a body reveals. Because a body is not really there to hide your soul. A body is there to contain, express, reveal your soul. Your soul can function on a very practical level because you have a body. And when we do a mitzvah, what we're doing is we're providing this body for God. The act of a mitzvah, the action itself, represents this organ, this limb, this body, to contain a deeper depth, a, 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 to reveal God. What does that tell us about a mitzvah, the power of a mitzvah? Or even the definition of a mitzvah? It's an expression of God's will. It's an expression of God's will. In, in a sense, it's, it's an expression of, of himself. None of us could be, except for, with the exception of John, None of us can be present tonight without our bodies. <laughs> just a bunch of electrons. <laughs> you can't just be a soul. You need a body to be present. And a mitzvah is the body of God making him present. Is that why they say that you're, when you're doing mitzvahs, you're elevating whatever it is you're... Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that soon. It goes beyond the action itself. We'll get there soon. Hold on to that thought. Definitely. This tells us something very important about mitzvahs. <coughs> I mean, the, the definition of the word mitzvah itself. Mitzvah is literally translated as commandment, which is correct. God's commanding us. It also has the translation, connection, bond. Because a mitzvah is a bond with something deeper. Before Tanya, there is B-T and A-T, right? Before Tanya, after Tanya. To help put things into perspective. Thank you. The so, so before... <laughs> you might want to take the seltzer and sit now. <laughs> before Tanya... There's... You know, there's a lot of ways to explain and to rationalize mitzvahs. But why would you do a mitzvah? Because there's a reward waiting for you. Right? You do a mitzvah... You feel good about it. It makes you a better person. God's going to reward you in the next world. Um, it's cultural. right? This is a family tradition. This is a religious tradition. And I'm holding up tradition. These are all beautiful explanations why we should do mitzvahs. But none of them focus on the present. To say mitzvah is just a tradition focuses on the past. To say mitzvahs are just about the reward I'm going to get focuses on the future. But to say a mitzvah is a revelation of God 
that focuses on the present. It's through this understanding of mitzvahs where we realize a mitzvah is important not just because it's not just cultural. It's not just historical. It's not just future. What's the word? <laughs> I have to expand my vocabulary. It's not just about the reward. It's not just about what we're going to get, but it's about the present effect bringing God in our world. It has a current effect. Let's take a look. We're going to jump back to, to, to chapter 4, page 72. So we're living in the past. We're living in the past, despite the fact that... <laughs> where we, we discussed the idea of mitzvahs back in chapter 4, and we're discussing it again in chapter 3, and the ideas are interrelated. So in chapter 4, he asks a question. How can I connect to God if God is beyond the capacity of my mind and heart? He created my mind and heart, right? He created the notion of logic, the notion of emotions. So how can I get him? So he says you're not gonna, you can't get him with what you feel because it's just how you feel about him, but it's not him. You have to get him through action. And let's take a look at what he says. Page 72, the last bold line. <clears throat> this explains why the Mishnah teaches in Pirkei Avot, better is one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than the life, than all the life of the world, uh, of the world that is coming, than the world to come. A moment of teshuvah, a moment of a mitzvah, that one mitzvah, you're bringing God in this world, that's better than the world to come. Why? It's in the present. You're act and in this present, what are you getting? God. What are you getting in the world to come? An experience. There's God and there's your experience of God. And which one is... One might be more emotionally... No. Um, Did you get it? You got it? One might be more emotionally overwhelming. There's one upstairs. Top of the stairs. Yeah, straight upstairs. You'll see him. Straight ahead. Where there's no cribs. One may be more emotionally feel Best good, is. but one is, in other words, there's a, there, there, what are the words? Connecting to, to, to who God is or just appreciating how I feel about him. And by the way, this is a, a, a um, dilemma we feel in relationships all the time. How I feel about the person, how I feel about the experience of the relationship or the relationship itself. And that's the difference between the world to come and, that's, and mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are the relationship itself. I'm connecting to God. Whereas, a, where, whereas the world to come is just how I feel about God. I experience Him emotionally, intellectually, but I'm not necessarily getting him. So it's whether you're passive or whether you're active? It's whether it's a feeling of inspiration or if it's a or if it's something more essential.
Let's see what he says further. Let's take a look on page seven. Uh, we're going to jump to 73, the, the first bold line. Further in, in chapter 4. Because in the world to come, we enjoy the radiance of the divine presence, which refers to the pleasures of understanding God. Right? You can't do that in this world. Jump to the next bold paragraph. But it is impossible for any created entity, even a lofty one, to grasp more than a glimmer of divine light. At the end of the day, can you actually understand him? You'll understand what we call his light. So you'll connect to how you feel about him, but are you actually getting him? The way we can get him, that's through a mitzvah. That's the power of a mitzvah. They tell a story of the Vilna Gaon. The famed Gaon Rav Eliyahu of Vilna. He lived in the same time period as the Alter Rebbe, the author of Tanya. They had a relationship. <laughs> so the entire incident that happened on the 19th of Kislev leading up to the Alter Rebbe's liberation, he was imprisoned ultimately because of the Vilgaon. That was the opposing side that was scared of Hasidic teachings. Scared of this revolution. Um, the, the the split, if you will, was was pre was purely philosophical, not put not political. In other words, they had the best of intentions in mind, <coughs> thinking that you know how can Judaism be ready for this soul experience? We have to focus on studying on action. On the mechanics, and you know, obviously the Chabad movement and the Hasidic movement wasn't, God forbid, saying that we focus less on the mechanics and on the action on the body, but there has to be a balance between body and soul. Um, and and to put it very unclearly, disclaimer <laughs> right there. Yeah, exactly. the The debate between the Alter Rebbe and the Vilna Gaon, the Gra, as he was called was basically how we understand the notion of tzimtzum, God hiding himself. When Kabbalah says God hides himself, does it mean literally or figuratively? And the al Rebbe maintained that it meant figuratively because God is still everywhere. It's our perception. And he maintained that God, that it's more literal and that God is not omnipresent in the same way that we understand with the Tanya. Now, this idea is not accepted anymore, but it, it's so accepted that God is omnipresent it's not even a question but it led to a big debate in is the world even ready to understand this idea of Hasidus and 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 the soul bottom line which makes this story interesting I don't know why but okay anyways sorry I'm getting I'm getting <laughs> the Vilna Gaon was on his deathbed and he's crying and he was, a, he was a righteous individual, despite his opposition to the Chabad movement, to the Hasidic movement at large. He was a very righteous individual, an incredible scholar and Kabbalist in his own right. Obviously very accomplished spiritually, and he's on his deathbed. He's crying. And his students say to him, Rabbi, why are you crying? He says, I'm about to pass away. My time is coming. And they said, you're going to go to the world to come. You're going to be in a better place. You're going to be in the presence of 
divine light. And you know that. Why are you crying? He says, when I go to the next world, at best I'm just going to get an experience. In this world, for a couple of pennies, or whatever the currency was, I can buy a pair of tzitzit, Shabbos candles, kosher food, and I can have God. In the next world, I'm going to have an experience of God. But here, for a couple of pennies, I could be doing what God wants. I could be doing a mitzvah. I could have God. I could have Him. When we do a mitzvah, we have Him. Because when your body is present, so is your soul. Because your body, might, otherwise you're just a corpse. When the body of God is present, the action of the mitzvah, so is the soul, so is God. So do you feel a personal connection to God when you do a mitzvah? Very good question. When you just washing your hands before eating? Yeah, very, very good question. How do we get ourselves to have that feeling? In other words, we often do mitzvahs and it feels like actions. It just feels like, it feels like by, by rote. In other words, the whole idea that we're saying, this is the idea of kavana. There's the idea of having kavana in a mitzvah intention. Right? Doing a mitzvah out of passion, out of love. Out of, but this is the passion that we're having, knowing that we're doing... In other words, if we were to meditate on this idea before doing a mitzvah, our performance of the mitzvah would be a lot more meaningful. If we were to meditate on this idea before putting on tefillin, knowing that this is a body for God, God is here because of this tefillin. God is here because of these Shabbat candles. God is here because of this Shabbat kiddush, because I'm washing my hands or, or pick whatever 613 mitzvahs you, you plan on doing. Imagine we were to meditate on this idea, or even before praying, as I uttered these words, or Torah study. If we were to be aware, if we're aware, when we're aware of these ideas, the more we study about them, the more we can feel this connection, be aware of it. And by the way, this is the idea of making a blessing before a mitzvah. What is a blessing before a mitzvah? It's to put us in that frame of mind. To remind us what we're doing, that we're connecting to God. We say, Baruch Atah Hashem. Bless you, God. The Hebrew word Baruch, bless, has another meaning. Never rely on translations. Because there's always more than one. And no one is more accurate than the other, necessarily. Sometimes they are, but... The word Baruch also means to be Mavrich, to draw down. We're drawing down Ata, you. Who's you? Hashem. Hashem. Now think about it. It's kind of weird. Addressing God in f as you? You know, in... in well, capital. A capital you. You know, in, in yeshiva. <laughs> a capital you. In yeshiva, we would never say to the head rabbi, you said earlier... The rabbi said earlier, right? Or imagine speaking to a dignitary. Right? You're in court appearing before a judge. Your honor stated. You didn't say you. What does that show when you say you? It's almost, it's almost like a disrespectful way to, uh, to address something. Like, yeah. Hey, you. Yeah. It implies familiarity. Hello. Hello. 
Now, there, 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 now, now that's the point. That's the idea. It does imply familiarity. In other words, there are times where it's appropriate for this casual relationship. Right? A close friend, a spouse, you would say you. And the fact that the blessings are organized in this way, we say, Baruch Atah, bless you, what does that indicate? A sense of closeness. A sense of closeness. We're reminding ourselves that we're Mavrich, we're Baruch, we're drawing down you through this mitzvah. When we do a mitzvah, this is a limb containing God. And the question is, do we feel it? Now you ask me a personal question, do I feel it? Sometimes I do, many times I don't. And part of it depends on how sensitive I am, part of it depends on how intentional I am. Well, it goes to your state of mind. Yeah. If you're, if you're in the present, or if you're thinking about the other 15,000 things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very rarely in life are you just going to feel it. Is it just going to happen? Are you going to wake up with an inspiration? I don't know. It happens, but that's not something to rely on. Bottom line, we have to be intentional. We have to, th you know, when we're thinking about these and with when these ideas are on our mind, <clears throat> you know, like we separate the challah and stuff like that. Seems like giving charity is much easier to feel that than, than washing your hands. Yeah, when, when correct, correct. You, you know, there, there's three types of mitzvahs. There's there's um, mitzvahs that are pretty much logical. They kind of make sense. Um, I would do this mitzvah even if there wasn't a God, right? You have a lot of atheists that are very charitable, I'm sure. Haven't seen any? No, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> I will not repeat that. Okay. I, I think you ought to stop the tape. <laughs> Take this off. Erase that from the record. <laughs> no, I was, I was totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> You're a funny guy, Rabbi. It's never made fun. Are we still jumping in the 70s or are we back to the 250s? We're somewhere in the air. We're, we're, we're still... We're still somewhere. I, we're still somewhere. I have a question before we move completely away, but please continue. Okay, so you have mitzvahs that are logical. You don't need a God to tell you to give charity, right? We do have a God to tell us to give charity. You have... You have we have mitzvahs that are testimonial. You wouldn't know that they exist without God, but they make sense. God rested on the seventh day, so do we. God took us out of Egypt, we commemorate that with Ma All these are logical. Then you have mitzvahs that are totally irrational. And those are the hardest to justify because they're unjustifiable. The only reason why I'm doing it is because God said. Like kosher. There's no reason to eat kosher other than the fact that God wants us to eat kosher. That's, that's some of the... The, the more obscure things that we say after doing certain things and yeah, so like that. So, I mean, definitely. So, so, so when it comes to tzedakah, more logical mitzvah, it's easier. You know, you feel like you're accomplishing you something good. It's it's easier to resonate. So, some mitzvahs have blessings with them, and some don't. Right? Okay, good question. Yeah, it, okay, it is a discussion for another time, but there, there is a whole halachic discussion, which blessings merit, which mitzvahs merit blessings, which don't. The general rule of thumb, if it's a mitzvah between man and man, there's no blessing. Perhaps for the reason that you said, you could see what you're accomplishing. But if it's between man and God, there is a blessing. So tzedakah won't have a mitzvah. Returning a stolen item is a mitzvah, right? 
What? If you stole something, you have to return it? No, but you shouldn't steal in the You shouldn't steal in the first place. Or if you find, no. find something that somebody... Let's say you find a lost item and you return it, right? There's no, there's no blessing there. Um, you just get to feel good. Other, but, but to fill in Shabbos candles, things that are between man and God, for the most part, do have mitzvahs, if they're actions. Um, feelings don't have mitzvah. Don't have blessings. It's a mitzvah to love God. There's no blessing. God There's is, no blessing to, for, for your fellow. Your, right? Right. Love your fellow. Right. There's no mitzvah. There's or no blessing is, on love your fellow. Is there a blessing for visiting the sick? No. Because that's between man and man. man, and man. Yeah. That's between so, man and man. So I mean, we could keep going for hours on this, but if you washed your hands before you ate and you didn't say the blessing, are you doing it on the spot? No. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The, the, so the ble- good question. The blessing, for the most part, is not... The, the, mitzv- the fulfillment of the mitzvah is not dependent on the blessing. The blessing complements the mitzvah. It's not to say that the blessing is not important and that it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. But if for whatever reason you forgot to say the blessing, it doesn't mean you didn't do the mitzvah. If you put on tefillin or lit Shabbos candles and forgot to say the blessing, you still did the mitzvah. So, so more than, more the, blessing, the blessing is there to put us in the right frame of mind. Modani is between Hashem and us, right? right. Yeah. Just, just saying Modani is a blessing. It's not a blessing in the sense, uh, in the conventional sense, Baruch Atta. Right. It doesn't have the framework of a blessing. It's more of a, of a prayer. What, what if you eat food without a blessing? <coughs> yeah, eating, okay, there's different no, types of blessings. We're, we're talking about mitzvah blessings. There's different types of blessings. There, there's blessing that you would say on a mitzvah. There's blessings you would say for food. There's blessings you would say as a praise, like the moda'ani. There's, there's, but in, in the context of mitzvah blessings, the blessing is there to put us in the right frame of mind, but it's not necessarily part of the mitzvah. Um, there are a few exceptions, like where the blessing is the mitzvah, like benching. You're, right, you're citing a blessing, and that itself is the mitzvah. So there's no blessing on the blessing, because the blessing is... Oh, <laughs> 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 So, was it time for my question? Oh, oh go for okay. It. So, well, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, this is this is I, you know because because my my question is tendential but not. Okay. So it has to do with the rabbi crying on his deathbed. Okay. So if you want to keep this path of no 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 line of que- go for line it. of discussion going, us we should do that. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So this question comes to mind for multiple <coughs> reasons. One is the reason of passing my father. Um, but it, see, it seems to me that this, this, this rabbi said it all. So it's like, you know, we have, we have it all right here. We have this connection with God that once we pass, <coughs> we will not have that connection with God. We'll, we'll have an experience with God. So in, in the general sense, everyone is going to pass at some point, and then we'll all be experiencing God, but we won't have that connection with God. What is it that God wants, though? God wants us okay. to have a connection with God. Good question. So, why don't we all live forever? Okay, that's obvious. But, um, when Moshiach comes, something is going to happen that will take us from that ex- experiential uh, space place and be able to give us that connection with Hashem again. True, false. True. True. In other words, the ideal and what Mashiach is all about 
And as we segue through the chapters, we're going to get more and more, we'll discuss more of these themes when we get into the early 30s, late 30s, middle 30s. <laughs> we'll get there. But the idea is we want to fuse both, the best of both worlds. We want the connection and we want to experience it. When we go to the next world, you have an experience. In this world, we have a connection. And ideally, we want to experience the connection. And that's when Mashiach comes. And that's Mashiach. Where there's a connection in this world and it's an experience. In other words, it's visible. Visible to the eye. So when you do a mitzvah and you have that connection and you feel it, you're kind of in mini Mashiach mode. You're kind of living with Mashiach already. The whole theme of Mashiach. Which is revealing God's presence, God's oneness in this world. So, point, you said it well. You said it perfect. 100%. So we're so inefficient, why don't we just wait for the Mashiach to come? Because Mashiach isn't going to come, it's going to tip the scales. Okay, the, 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 exactly. Exactly. And, and, and we're going to discuss this more in chapter 37. It's dependent on our actions and us bringing... Mashiach means... as Mashiach is not just a human leader leading the Jewish people. Okay. That's part of it, but it's, right. a, it's an era. Right. It's an era where this godly presence that is hidden, that we've been discussing, is completely revealed in this world. And what, re whoa, sorry, what reveals it is our actions, is our mitzvahs. When we do a mitzvah, as your body contains your soul, that mitzvah contains God. And makes the world, prepares the world for Mashiach mode. I like this um, little tiny chapter back going back to 256. Since the whole point of the world is to facilitate Torah and mitzvahs, the world's existence depends on them. In fact, it is through Torah and mitzvahs that life energy flows to the world. Well said. So yeah. that's exactly what you're saying. Well said. Now, going back to the experience idea. Or, or, or sorry, let, let, let's... Hanukkah's coming up. When's Hanukkah? Next week. Starts 22nd, Monday, right? Sunday night. Sunday night? What do I know? It's not Sunday night. I looked it up. <laughs> what do rabbis know about? We school up. We have go to school on Hanukkah, no? I believe so. I don't know what winter break is, but we so, have Hanukkah. Hanukkah's coming up. Oh, yeah? What we're learning about these mitzvahs. A mitzvah is not just a cultural observance. A mitzvah is not just reward, although it is that, but that's not the essence of it. The essence of the mitzvah is the connection of the mitzvah. As it says in the Talmud, the schar, the reward for a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. The reward for a mitzvah is the connection. The connection itself. It's not just cultural. You know, there, there's times as... You know, we go around asking people, would you like to put on fill-in today? No, thank you. Well, be quick. Why not? You know, it won't be too inconvenient. I don't... doesn't mean anything to me. <coughs> In other words, the view is that it's some sort of cultural observance. And to me, I'm not too into Jewish culture, so it's okay. But if it's a connection, and this is my purpose, this is why I exist, to connect and to bring God into this world. And this is one of the 613 ways to do it. Why not? It's not about who cares if it means anything to me. I have an opportunity. And I'll make it meaningful. And this is exactly what the Greeks were battling. 
The Greeks were trying to culturize Judaism, despiritualize Judaism. I think I just made up two words, but they're <laughs> but nobody corrected me. Culturalize and and, and spiritualize. <laughs> Let's take a look. Spiralize. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's take a look in text three. Text three. So as Hanukkah approaches, during Hanukkah we add a prayer in the Amida and in the benching, in the grace after meals, referred to as the Al Hanisim prayer, which is basically thanking God, praising God for the miracles that took place, and it briefly recounts the Hanukkah story. In the days of Matasyahu, the son of Yochanan, the high priest, the Hasmonean and his sons, so and they were the groups, right, the Maccabees, that, that, that uh, saved the Jews, the small group, the few that beat the many. When the wicked Hellenic government rose up against your people Israel, and here's the key, to make them forget your Torah and violate the decrees of your will. Right? What did the Greeks, the Greeks didn't want to kill us physically, they wanted to kill us spiritually. They said, no Torah, no mitzvahs. But as the Lubavitcher Rebbe points out, they weren't so much against the study of Torah and the performance of mitzvahs. Let's look closely at the words. They want us to forget that it's your Torah, that it's godly, and that it's your will, that it's your mitzvah, that it's something godly. If a mitzvah's if a mitzvah is a mere cultural observance, go for it. That's what the Greeks said. Go for it. It's a cultural observance. We love culture. And we accept all cultures. But if it's a connection to a God, that comes with demands. And that's something that can't be changed and altered. You can alter culture. You can alter, right? But if, it may, if it's demands and it's God, it's something that you're claiming to be objective and, and, and dominant over us, no. We will have nothing of it. No they were fighting what the Tanya right here is, is uh, the, the message of the Tanya. That a mitzvah is a connection with God. It's not just a cultural observance. To illustrate this idea, a couple of weeks ago we had Thanksgiving. Imagine you sit down to your Thanksgiving meal. Picture this. You're at your Thanksgiving meal. And you're getting ready for your Thanksgiving meal. And there's a Hasidic Jew with you in the kitchen, foreign to all these ideas, to, to, to American culture. Right? From the shtetl, from the 1800s. And he says to you, okay, so Thanksgiving's coming. I understand we eat turkey. What time does the turkey have to be eaten at? What time is it? What time does the turkey need to be eaten at? When it's ready. Well, what are you talking about? Well, what time is sunset? You saying doesn't it have doesn't have to be eat after sunset? No, you eat whenever you want. Oh, okay, how large does the turkey need to be? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, does it have to be a kazayas? Does it have to be this measurement? Does it have to be this measurement? What's the measurement? What's the halacha? How large does the turkey have? As much turkey as you want. Okay, how do you need to cook the tur? Cook it however you want. Right? It's a cultural observance. And when we're and it, and it's a nice thing representing the founding of the country and all and all the beautiful things we're thankful for, but do it however you want. And if you're not gonna if you don't like turkey, or you're vegetarian, nobody's gonna scream at you. You'll you'll be okay, right? But with a mitzvah, 
it's not a cultural observance. We can't just alter things in a mitzvah. We don't get to just change things around and I like it this and I like it that. This is what God wants and it's this formula that creates a body to reveal God, the soul of reality. Now, as, as Lynn mentioned earlier, it goes beyond that. It's not just the action of the mitzvah that is a body for the mitzvah, but it's actually the person doing the action that becomes a vehicle for God himself as well. Page 258, the bottom, uh, the, the last bold paragraph. And therefore, your bodily organs, too, when you observe the mitzvah, are surrendered to the divine will, since your divine soul's component power of action is invested in those bodily organs at the moment when you perform and observe the mitzvah. And these organs become an actual chariot for the divine will. It's not just the behavior itself. It's not just the tefillin itself and the act of putting on tefillin or lighting candles that becomes a mitzvah, that becomes a vehicle for God, but it's actually you yourself that becomes a vehicle for God. So the mitzvahs are like the driving force. Yeah. The, so the story is Rebzusha of Anapoli. Rebzusha of Anapoli was a contemporary of the Al-Tzareb, the author of Tanya. His endorsement is actually appears in the beginning of the Tanya. He endorses the book. And Rebzusha did not have a lot of... Rebzusha lived... He was impoverished. And it didn't bother him much, but it was his reality. Or that was the reality. He didn't have, you know, he walked around in torn clothing. He was one of those sagistic figures that were just not living in, 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 in our world. And he's visiting a town, and nobody was inviting him for dinner for Shabbos because they assumed he's some random schlepper. They didn't realize that it's Reb Zusha. But somebody had the wisdom, or at least the, the courage, <laughs> to invite him. And Rebzusha was, was, again, was, for lack of better words, and I mean this with all due respect, was, it was abnormal. Because he was a tzaddik and saw things differently, saw things from the soul perspective. He's sitting at the table, and the host notices Rebzusha kissing his hands, his own hands. And he says, what on God's earth are you doing? <laughs> so he says... You take an esrog, a lul of an esrog, right? And during the year, 11 months and 22 days out of the year, it's a lemon worth a nickel, right? But on Sukkot, it's valuable. We treat it with the utmost respect. Why? What changed? The need. Well, part of it, okay, supply and demand, right? But what else? Part of it is the is the expense, but why is there that need? Because why is it more expensive? It's a mitzvah. Because all of a sudden it's a mitzvah. He says, I'm walking around. I'm a regular human being, as if he was a regular human being. But all of a sudden you invited me to your home. You're doing a mitzvah. And what is your vehicle? What is your tool for this mitzvah? On Sukkot, what's your tool to do a mitzvah? The Esrug. <laughs> what's your tool to do this mitzvah right now? Me. Me. I became a holy article to do a mitzvah with. He was so... 
he, he was so caught up and he realized how he became holy. He started kissing his hands. And it's a funny story. It's, it, I don't expect any of us to do that. But What's his name? Rebzusha. Of Anapoli. Rebzusha of Anapoli. Did he do anything else with? <laughs> More stories to come. Stick around. No? <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> he inspires some really good music. Zusha. <laughs> okay, the idea is though that a, the point is that a mitzvah makes us not makes the performer holy, makes the article that it's done holy, not just the behavior itself. To illustrate this point even further, we're going to jump to chapter forty-six, page six hundred and one. Whoa! The end of chapter forty-six. And I'm tired, so we're jumping all over. Six hundred and forty-one. What? Six hundred one. Six hundred one. What's on page 613? What did she like to know? Good question. <laughs> All the mitzvahs, right? Okay. 601, first bold paragraph. The Alter Rebbe was, in Tanya over here, was again talking about the connection, the bond that's built through mitzvahs. And he says, because there's a connection, and because the mitzvah becomes part of, and God becomes part of your identity, he says, the bold paragraph, and that's why our sages of blessed memory required us to rise and remain standing before anyone performing a mitzvah. That's what it says in the Talmud, right? In the Jerusalem Talmud. Even if the one observing the mitzvah is a morally uncultivated person or ignorant of Jewish law, they might not have Torah under their belt. But just the act of a mitzvah, they contain God, they're holy, you have to rise in their presence. Oh, because now, why do you have to rise in their presence? Why? Because God rests in his presence tangibly in his soul at that very moment. Beautiful. When we do a mitzvah, God becomes part of us. He becomes part of the article we're doing the mitzvah with. He becomes, the action itself facilitates God. Us as humans facilitate God. You have to rise, you have to stand up. Somebody who did a mitzvah, you stand up before him as if you were to stand up before the king himself. Now, practically, are we going to stand up in front of somebody who does a mitzvah? Whatever. That's, but, but our point, what's our... The point is why you would stand up. Because for that moment... Because for that moment, they have God in their midst. Wow. This brings God in... From, again, to further illustrate the point that a mitzvah brings God into the world. Just another point. I found this very interesting, and I, I never noticed this until I was preparing for this class. Ooh. And you notice new things every time. <laughs> He gives several examples on page 259, back in our chapter. He gives three examples. Or he gives several, but one example. So the, the first bold paragraph, 259. Oh, this is like a kid's book. Hmm? This is like the kid's book. Why God gave us hands, and why God gave us feet, and why God there gave we us go. a mouth, and why God gave us eyes. The author distilled why, Tanya. Here, uh, yeah, it's, I kids. read this to Ruffle almost every day. There we go. She loves this book. So he says, for example, 259 the top, for example, the hand which distributes charity to the poor, or performs another mitzvah, and here's, here's the, the nuance, or feet that walk for a mitzvah activity. Like Walking is never a mitzvah. You're walking so you could do the mitzvah. So you walk to shul to pray. Praying is a mitzvah. Your walking enables you to do the mitzvah. And that's the nuance. When you, it's not only the mitzvah that is a container, a body for God, a vessel for God, but it's even 
the actions that lead up to the mitzvah, that's a vessel for God. Not only going, to, not only partaking in the synagogue, not only partaking at a Torah class, or whatever the mitzvah may be, whatever 613 mitzvahs it may be, but even walking to get there is part of the mitzvah, because you can't get there, you can't do it without walking, all of a sudden your walking becomes holy and becomes godly, and you're bringing God into this world just through walking. It's the same like when you're making chama. Yeah, yeah. So what about eating breakfast so you have the energy to walk? Yeah. So that, that, yeah. It's all connected. If you have that intention, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, intention. You have to have that intention, but we, we touched upon that in chapter 7 and 8. Maybe I'll go to shul, and maybe I won't go to shul, then you don't have the intention. But if you're eating breakfast or, or we're having black and white cookies, it gives us energy. I to, to, to have black and white cookies. Exactly. So we can hand him one. Black and white cookies gives us energy to to focus on our Tanya learning. Well, now these cookies they, become godly. Holy. Become you holy. told me before I ate three of them. Then I would have had an intention. <laughs> now I'm going to have to eat three more. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just to conclude with one point, and we're halfway through the chapter. We're going to continue the next half next week. Halfway? I think we're like Are we more? 25% of the Really? This is a long chapter. Oh, you're right. Okay. It'll be, okay, it's going to be a journey, friends. <laughs> but our patriarchs were considered chariots. A chariot goes where the driver wants it to go. A chariot doesn't have its own will, but it's part of a larger mission. Hashem is the driver, yeah. Um, now, we're, we can be chariots on a microcosmic level. In other words, the patriarchs, their entire existence was their mission, their God-given mission. For us, it's going to be one limb at a time. Um, right? For us, one limb at a time, we're going to connect to God and make God part of our lives. When we make God part of our lives, we make God part of the world. When we make God part of the world, we make this world godly, we bring Mashiach closer. Amen. That's the story and I'm sticking to it. It's really kind of cool what he says about the whole chariot thing and the, the level of it and all that. I'm going to read that again. Oh, sure. Like that part. Huh? Chariot. Chariot.